I think our story is one of the most powerful things that we can tell, and uh, I just love that it's part of our blessed model here at Basic. We just give Kiana another round of applause for telling her story. That's just thank you for doing that. Um, and and I think before we get started, I I just have to address the elephant in the room here. Um, I don't know how it's possible that Dan Hopple has never seen Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> It's just not possible. I don't, Dan, I mean, come on, man. When, uh, quick, quick side note. Uh, in in um, my house several years ago, uh, my wife was supposed to be painting the living room. And I came inside, and she uh, was in, like, the kitchen around the corner, and Grey's Anatomy was on. But she was around the corner. She couldn't see it. And, and I said, what are you doing? Why are you painting? And she's, well, I don't, she said, I don't need to see it. If I hear it, I can see it in my mind because I've seen it so many times <laughs> that I, I don't actually need to watch it. So I think we have a problem there. That's my <laughs> wife right there. So, um, Welcome to Basic. Uh, it's the second to last week of the year. I don't know how we're already at this point, but um, I'd love to be here and I'd love to teach because I feel like God just teaches me a whole bunch of stuff when I'm preparing for this. So this is really just me sharing what God has kind of taught me through kind of studying this out. In breathing room, I don't know if it has done as much for you as it has done for me, but I just feel like we could all use a little bit of breathing room in a lot of areas of our lives. And so uh, before, we, before we get going, I want to recap a little bit. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, several weeks ago by now, Kurt started us off with this idea of Sabbath. And Sabbath, uh, he, he talked about, was um, regular rhythms that God put into the lives of the Israelites. And these rhythms uh, were, were um, on the seventh day of the week, and, and then like once a quarter and once a year, they would do these things where they'd take breaks. Um, and it's actually biblical to do that. And he did this thing that just kind of stuck with me. He did this one, two, three, four, five, six, ah. One, two, three, four, five, six. Ah. Like symbolizing your week. Like they, they, God said, hey, Israel, you're going to work six days, and then you're going to take that seventh day, and I want you to not work. I want you to just spend time with me. And I thought that was really great. And at the end of his teaching, he, he, just, he just said this, just stop. Just stop. Like sometimes we just need to stop what we are doing and turn our eyes to Jesus and focus on that for a minute. And we don't, at least I know I don't, do that very easily. And then Katie, a couple weeks back, she talked about time. And she, she had this quote that I just loved. Um, she said, if you want to have a full life, you cannot have a life that is crammed full. And I just thought that was so insightful because... It, it seems like if I want to have a full life, then I should do that. Right? I should fill it up. I should put things in it. I should continue to add and add and add until I can't add anymore. But if we do that, we, we don't have any space left for God to speak to us, for God to add things into our lives. So I thought that was really insightful. And then she said, too, at the end of her teaching, and a lot of times throughout it, she said, just stop. Stop adding things to your schedule. Stop adding, just maximizing your time and never leaving any space to breathe. And so I think that's kind of a theme that's kind of developed as this series. Is sometimes we just need to stop and give God some room to speak into our lives. 
Um, and creating breathing room in your finances is really no different. Um, I know you, you're probably thinking like, Derek, uh, this is great, like teach on finances, but I don't have finances. Like there are no finances in my life, <laughs> zero of them. Um, but it applies. I promise you it applies. And I think you'll see in my story, I, it really starts kind of right where you guys are, right where you guys are. When I was a senior at UNI, um, I was making about $600 a month. And most of that was going to rent and utilities and pizza, if I'm being honest. Um, frozen pizza, delivery pizza, all the pizzas. There's no such thing as bad pizza, right? There's good pizza and not as good pizza, but there's no bad pizza. And actually, sidecar coffee was not even a thing then. I'd have had to get another job, probably, if sidecar was a thing. It was like Folgers out of a can or nothing. Like, like coffee wasn't cool then. And so, I'm dating myself here, but... Uh, <laughs> I, and, and I was a math education major, and so I was plenty competent to figure out that after I graduated and got a teaching job, even a low-level teaching job, I was going to be making like four or five times as much money as I was in college, working part-time. And on top of that, I was soon to be engaged, and I, I was going to get married, and, and my wife was going to be making money and working full-time, and I just felt like, man, we're going to have all the money. All the money is going to be our money. We are not going to struggle. I don't know what people are talking about, like, like teachers don't get paid. Like, 30 grand? Are you serious? Like, that's a lot of money. I, th I felt like, man, we're going to be retired when we're 30. This is going to be great. So Jesus uh, has this interesting parable in Luke 16, and that's where we're going to be tonight, in Luke 16. Um, and in Luke is about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. It's that third book of the third Burke, third Burke of the of the New Testament, um, and he tells a parable in this book. And I'm going to kind of backfill a little bit. A parable is like a story that he tells. It's not a true story, but it has a point. It has something that he's driving at. And and in this parable, the disciples are present. So those are Jesus' followers, and then also the Pharisees are present. And they are, they are the religious, like super religious people of that day. They weren't a big fan of Jesus. Jesus was actually considered pretty radical. And so they weren't a fan of Jesus. So Luke 16, verse 1, here we go. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came to the manager, uh, a report that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are about to be fired. And the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I, have, I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm just too proud to beg. Ah, I know what I'll do. Like light bulb, ding, ah, right? I know what I'll do to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. And so get the picture here. 
there's a guy who's managing his master's resources and he is not doing a good job. He's likely maybe embezzling a little bit, not really. He's kind of cooking the books a little bit, right? And, and, and he gets in trouble. He's going to be fired and then he's like, I'm, gonna, I'm also going to forgive debt to, that was actually debt to my master. I'm going to forgive it so that I've got some friends after this whole thing ends. So this guy's got to be in a lot of trouble. Like he's already going to be fired. Now he's surely going to like be on a hit list or thrown in prison or something, right? Well, look at the next verse. Verse 8 says this, The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And shrewd means to be forward-thinking, to be able to look ahead and say, oh, what do I need to do now in order to you know, have a better situation later? And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. So this is not the story that I expected. I did not expect the next verse to be the master admiring this manager who has done all these wrong things. It feels like Jesus is almost condoning lying, cheating, and stealing. But if you look at it, it says he admires the, the, the shrewdness of this man, but he still calls him a dishonest rascal, right? And, and, and in my, my opinion, what I kind of visualize here is like any movie or TV show where somebody's running from, from law enforcement, like if you've ever seen the show Cops, where somebody's like running through backyards and ducking under trees and hiding in window wells or whatever, and, and you're watching this and you're like, that's a bad dude, that's a bad dude. And he's, and he's, he's run, and then he does something clever, like he climbs down a manhole in the middle of the street and everybody runs by, and, and you're like, man, that's a bad dude, but I gotta hand it to him. <laughs> that, was all, that was good, that was a good one, you did that. That's kind of what I picture here, like, like the, the manager's like, man, I'm so mad at you, but that's a good move on your part. I mean, you, you did something so that you actually got something to look forward to. You've got some friends because you've forgiven him that debt. And he talks about, in the latter half of that verse, he says, and it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd or they have more ability to look ahead at their future and plan for it than are the children of light. Now, the children of light are the people that are following Jesus, and the children and the people of the world are the people that are not following Jesus. And that's and that, kind of like, when I read that and kind of researched a little bit, it was like, man, that's kind of interesting because you feel like the people that follow Jesus, who believe that he is the person that is going to be their salvation, that they are heaven-bound because they're following Jesus, shouldn't they have the most ability to know what is to come? Shouldn't they have the most ability to look ahead and, and not stress and worry about their future, whether it be possessions or relationships or finances? But yet it seems like Jesus is saying here that, that those people actually struggle more to look ahead at their finances. In verse 10, if you pick it up in verse 10, it says this. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 9, verse 9, pick it up in verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, 
Your earthly possessions are gone. They will welcome you into, in, into an eternal home. If you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, as if there's non-worldly wealth, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And so I feel like we're turning a corner here. Like, when you think about wealth, you think about physical things. You think about nice cars and the newest iPhone and a beach house and a, just, you know, things that you can see and touch and feel. But he's saying that if you're not trustworthy in these things that you can see, how can you be trustworthy with the riches of heaven? And, it's, and, and I actually could spend a long time figuring out, what is this riches of heaven? What does that mean? And it's not real, real obvious at first. But I, I, I hope that in my story, you'll be able to kind of see maybe what the riches of heaven might be. So first, Jesus says, that your possessions and your finances are a tool to be stewarded. And he doesn't say for you, right? He says for the benefit of other people. Your possessions and finances are, are actually supposed to be to the benefit of other people, which just seems like, well, number one, totally contrary to what our society tells us to do. Society is saying, you, 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 you. Think about you, 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 you. Don't think about other people. Think about you. And then this next part, uh, it, it just kind of really, it first confused me, that we are supposed to do well with our worldly possessions because then we're going to be able to have the riches of heaven, is what it says. The riches of heaven, what is that? It's, it's this elusive, mystical thing that I, I can't quite grab. Um, how many of you have heard of a guy named Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey, yeah, a lot of us. So Dave, for those of you who don't know, he's a Christian guy, but he's kind of like a money guru. He, he um, advises people in their personal finance to kind of become debt-free and, you know, have freedom in, with their money. And, and he teaches a lot of things, but it really boils down to a few things. He teaches that you should have a little bit of money set aside as an emergency fund. Seems like a good idea. He says you should probably pay off your debt. Seems like a really good idea. Uh, and then he says, hey, you should, uh, you should save for retirement. Okay. That seems like something I've heard before. And then the, the thing that gets me, though, is the fourth thing. After you've done all of those things, he doesn't say, now go spend all your money on yourself and buy a beach house. I must really want a beach house. I keep referring to the beach house. Kristen, can we buy it? No? Okay. Um... <laughs> He doesn't say that. He says, be extraordinarily generous. Once you have done all the other things with your finances, be extraordinarily generous. Other-centered, not self-centered, other-centered. In that, in that, you are stewarding your resources in the way that, that, that we're taught in this parable. For other people, for the good of others, and in doing good with your worldly resources, there's this riches of heaven thing that's kind of still floating in the air. So what is that? What is that? 
So about a year after I graduated from college, I was working full-time. My wife was working full-time. And the thing that I thought that I needed was not only that money that I talked about, but that I, I really wanted to buy a house. I felt like, man, if I could be married and with a house, then I will have gotten here. Like, I will have gotten to the place that I feel like this is it. This is great. This is bliss. This is you know, whatever. This is where I need to be. Um, and, and we do that, right? Like, we think, if I could just get here. Like, how, have you ever had that thought? Raise your hand if you've had that thought. If I, could just get to the, if I could just get to the end of the semester, there's 16 days. Could I just get there? Then I'll be good. And then you get there, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's that other thing. Well, that's kind of what happened here. We, we, we bought that house. And remember, we have all the money, right? We have all of the money. And so I felt like if we have all of the money, we're going to buy this house. We're going to fill it with really nice things. We're going to just be able to do whatever we want. And, and month after month, I noticed, like, our account was here. And the next month, our account was here. And the next month, our account, it just never, like, it, it never went up. And we weren't, like, living this life I kind of thought we would. Just being able to spend money on whatever we wanted. Um, and that really kind of began to grow on me and stress me out. Like, man, this thing I thought, I thought was going to be this way, and it wasn't this way, and so now I need to get here. I was here, but now I need to get here. And I started to believe that lie that, like, if I could just get here, if I could just get here, this would be the place where I would be good to go. There would be nothing else that I need to attain at that point. We didn't have any breathing room in our finances at that point in our lives. And, and, and what I realized later was it was like this slow thing that happened that seeps into my subconscious that, like, this is the thing I need to get here. I need this thing. And it just did everything I could to drive towards that. And one of the stories that I often tell about this part of uh, our lives is um, one day, Kristen and I and our two kids got in the van to go to Walmart. I dropped her off at the front door, circled the parking lot with the two kids because you don't take kids into Walmart. And um, you, Allie's laughing because she babysits my kids. I definitely noticed that laugh. Um, uh, and, and she came out, Kristen came out, got in the van, and uh, shut the door, put the bag down, pulled out a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Mountain Dew and popped it open to drink. And I'm looking at her like, got a pop, did you? That's nice. And she's like, Yeah. Is that a problem? No, not at all. And we drive away. And it was just a short little thing, but both of us remember this because I was like the money Nazi at this point in our relationship. Like, we are not spending any money. There is no Diet Mountain Dew. None. We are not spending money because we have to get here. We're here, but we have to get here. And I was just, I mean, it was ridiculous, honestly, the way that I was with our money at that point in our marriage. And it was a good we instigated or put in some good money habits, but they were out of a wrong motivation. I found in my life that money is like this really slow deceiver. It just slowly kind of takes over, and you don't even realize it. And before you know it, all your decisions are made about stuff and money. When you're like, four years old playing in the dirt, you don't really care about money. When you're like eight, you want a little nicer bike than the kid next door. 
when you're like 14 or whenever you get a cell phone, you're like, man, I just need that next iPhone. I have a daughter right now that would like a cell phone more than anything in the world. And then you get to, you know, that senior level in college and you're like, ooh, if I could just get, if I could just get, if I could. And, and you never are satisfied. So we'll take a look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, you will, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both. And it feels weird to say that because money is an, in and of itself is not bad, but if you start serving money, then it is bad because it totally takes over your life. I know it did mine. That was what that was all I thought about was budgeting and how can we save and how can we because we have to get here and right now we're here. Contentment was an issue in my life and, and quite honestly still is. I felt like if I made enough money, I would be secure. It's that my security didn't come from God, it just came from my ability to make money to get whatever thing I thought I needed. So through the adoption of our first two kids that I mentioned, they were adopted from Uganda, and my wife and I spent nearly three months there um, when we adopted them. And uh, I saw things in Uganda that were a little hard to see sometimes, and so, so God was doing something kind of in my heart. He was starting to really soften me to kids in need. And um, so this parallel thing started to happen in my life where God was molding my heart to care for kids in need. And, and we were still doing a good job with our finances. We were still, um, even if the motivation was wrong, we, were still, we still were able to create a little more breathing room all the time. We had then adopted five years ago this summer another child. So now we're like in our late 20s, three kids. My wife actually decided to stay home for a little while in there. We actually had more money at the end of the month with three kids and one job than with no kids and two jobs. Because we just cut things that we decided weren't worth the money. So we continued to create this breathing room and uh, God continued to soften my heart towards kids in need. And then a crazy thing happened. My wife found out about this organization called Austin Angels. And Austin Angels is an organization in Austin, Texas that uh, works with families and kids in foster care. And we'd become foster parents and I'd started to hear stories of hard things and hard situations with kids in foster care and, and families doing foster care. And so she found them. I, I kind of looked at it. Within a few days, she'd sent them an email and all of a sudden we're on the phone with the executive director of Austin Angels. It's like, okay, great. Awesome. So we told her our story. I said, man, this program you have, what you're doing sounds great. Can we do that here? Um, or is that like illegal? I don't know. Like, is it copyright issue? Like, I, I just don't know. Can, if I were to like call that program the same thing that you're doing, or am I going to get in trouble? And she was like, I don't really know. Why don't you start a chapter of our organization in your city? And I was like, woman, you're crazy. I had a job, and we three adopted kids, and we were doing foster care. And um, but I was so excited that she said that because I I knew God was softening my heart, and I knew He was preparing our finances 
such that like probably six or eight months later after talking with people and praying a ton about it and, and also not buying any more Diet Mountain Dew and just saving all of that money, I was able to start an organization called Cedar Valley Angels with no clear idea of when I would be compensated. That God, he, he softened my heart, but I had to do a good job with my finances to say yes to that opportunity that he put in my life. So circle back, riches of heaven, serving other people, other-centered. In my life, the riches of heaven are working with these kids and these families every day. And I could have never dreamed that it would be like it is. I could have never dreamed that God would put me in this position to, 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 to do the work that I'm doing. But he softened my heart to it. And thankfully, we, had, we were in a financial position to be able to say yes to that opportunity. So sometimes I think you just need to stop. You just need to stop and you need to look at the, 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 the margins in your life. Are there any there? Are there any there at all in your, in, your, in your spiritual life, in your time, in your finances? In my life, what was true was that when I got a grip on our finances and I got grip on our stuff and put that in its proper place and started to love people with all the tenacity that I could love people and do a good job saying, no, I'm not going to get that newest phone, do the, whatever it is with my finances, that then God opened an opportunity for me to get to do the thing that I never would have even thought was a thing, never would have even dreamed of. And so I think, I think that for me, in this story, the way that this parable makes sense in my life is we did a good job with our worldly possessions for a little while. And, and like in verses 10 through 12, it says if you are faithful in the little things, that God will give you bigger things. And then if you are faithful in those things, then God will give you the true riches of heaven. Those opportunities that you may not be in a position to say yes to, or they may not even come if you are not putting breathing room into your life. So what you do with your time with Jesus, if there, if there is any, and, and to be honest, sometimes I don't do a good job of that, or your time in general, your schedule, what does it look like? Is it crammed full? Is your Google Calendar like block, 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 block? And your finances. You can say yes to an opportunity that God has for you. And believe me when I say that the, the riches of heaven are like things you don't even know about yet. Like I didn't even know about this opportunity until it was literally right in front of me. So we're going to go into a time of reflection now. And um, I just want you to close your eyes for just a minute. And I just want you to think about what, what is the thing that God wants? What is the step that he wants me to take right now? In my possessions, in my finances. Like maybe it's just something simple. Like you're just gonna, 
when you get your checks, you're just going to put five or ten bucks in a, in, a, in a jar. And maybe you need to get rid of something, a streaming service or a, something that is costing you money that is going to take away from your future opportunity to say yes to something that the Lord has for you. And I just, just pray about that for a minute, that God would show you one thing, one thing that you can do to take a step in that direction.